This is the Journey 66 Book Writing Podcast. I'm Melissa Parks with Dave Getz, and we are your road trip advisors. You may be at mile marker one and just thinking about an idea for a book, or maybe you've gone off-road in your writing and you want to restart the journey. Join Dave and me as we help you buckle up and write. I don't know a single author who hasn't doubted they have what it takes to write a book. Usually, doubt doubles or triples when you first reveal to someone, I think I want to write a book. The statement is followed by thoughts of, what if they think I'm silly for saying I want to write a book? Or would anyone actually read what I've written? Or I want to write, but I have no idea where to start. I don't even have a great idea. Today, Dave and I want to help you get over your doubt and all the other hurdles that keep you from following your dream or influencing others with your words. But before we get started, we are going to talk about our progress. Dave, where did you make progress this past week? My big progress is that I finally decided to uh, get a ring for my wife for our 30th anniversary. It's going to be a ring with uh, four different stones. That, well, not different. They're all diamonds. And it's something that I've been wanting to do for a long time because my wife lost her wedding ring and she has a, another band on her ring, but uh, on her finger. But this was something that, uh, that goes against that other band. And so I just made the decision this last week and it's going to get here in time before our anniversary, which is awesome. So uh, that's huge progress. You think your wife will like it? I think so. I think it'll be very meaningful because we've got four kids now. So the four diamonds. You know, yeah. the kids become more important than the, than the marriage. <laughs> That's not true. That's absolutely not true in our marriage, but it's a great symbol. So yeah, I do think she'll be wowed and I'll be surprised if she's not. So. so you told me that you got this from a jewelry store in Denver and you live in Chicago. How did that happen? So we have a really great jewelry store around the corner, but the service, the customer service was so poor. It's been in business for over a hundred years, but they're so slow to respond and it would have taken an extra two weeks to get the ring. And it was twice as expensive for the exact same thing. I remembered about the Shane company out of Denver, Colorado, which is now nationwide. And this radio jingle with this guy's voice, Tom Shane, uh, the Shane company. And I remember that Googled them, found their website, called them and this very sophisticated business and I was able to order it just and, and they get they're getting it to me tomorrow it's amazing two days wow so uh, and half the price and half the price amazing amazing yeah. enough of me how about you what about what progress have you made well this past weekend I completely re redid my booth the elevator space at warehouse 55 the last time I really overhauled it was when I moved in in January. So it's been about six months and it just started to look stale. And I have learned over the past few years of selling in a brick and mortar that you have to constantly be working to renew the customer experience to get customers to come back. Because once it gets stale, people stop buying things, people don't visit as often. And so it's so important to make it look fresh. So I've been going on these antiquing buying trips for the past month and a half month going to like Ohio and Wisconsin and just finding a lot of fresh merchandise. And I've been hoarding it, waiting to redo the, the space. And 
um, just overhaul it completely and get rid of stuff that has been sitting around for a while and just give it a fresh look. So we did that. We, I mean, my husband, he joined me because there's just so much logistical stuff involved and mechanical hammering, nailing, hanging stuff involved. So we were there all night. Literally, I think I was on my feet for 24 hours. I got up early in the morning at five and started packing and getting ready. And we got home the next morning, I think at 5.30. So I was exhausted, but it was so worth it. I have it. Yeah, I had had an installation of botanicals from the Ohio State I picked up at a flea market and I sold them this morning. So they were in the store for just a couple days and I sold them for $795, which was a great profit for me and a record sale as far as timing. So just goes to show when you do pay attention to uh, making things fresh, customers show up. So do you recognize when it's getting stale or are you just someone who says, I have to keep refreshing it. So even if I don't feel that, I need to keep doing that. I feel it. I feel it. I mean, I I feel it in my own home. Once things start to look the same, I just want to change it. So I think it's a naturally inbred thing. Like I want change. I want things to look different. Um, So I know when it's getting stale, when I've had furniture pieces that haven't sold, the the layout stays the same. And sometimes you can just shift things around in the store, moving furniture around and it will look a little bit fresher or you can move the art from one wall to the other. So sometimes I do these mini refreshers and I don't actually bring in much new merchandise. And that's enough to kind of just renew interest because it it tricks the eye. Was this a mini or a maxi? It was, a ma- it was a maximum overhaul. I, t- I took out a ton of furniture and this next weekend we're having a parking lot sale. So I just took out everything that I've had for about eight months or more. And I said, I'm just discounting it. I'm getting rid of it. So I took out tons of stuff and we're having a sale at Warehouse 55 this weekend. So I'm hoping next week's progress is that I'm cleared out. <laughs> wow, that's great. Anyway, we are both making progress. I, I love that we can focus on progress in other areas of our life besides writing um, just shows that we're all capable of improving. But today, (laughs) today we, by the way, Dave, my sister listened to the podcast and she said that she loves your warm laugh. Oh, that's good. (laughs) Nobody's ever said that before. (laughs) Really? She said that she loves your laugh. So I'm curious if when other people listen to this, if they think. No, that's great. Tell her, uh, please listen more. Yeah, that's right. And give us virtual feedback. (laughs) Especially positive virtual feedback. This episode is actually born out of a conversation I had with my sister who I I said, you know, you should really think about maybe writing a book someday. She's been doing a lot of writing about um, something personal that's happened in her life. And her first question is, would anybody really read what I have to say? And it really goes back to that self-doubt that people have when they've never written a book and they think, can I actually write a book? Would anybody ever read it? And there's just there's just so much self-doubt. And so today we wanna tackle that topic. And the first point that we wanna make is that you'll likely always struggle with the feeling that maybe I shouldn't be writing a book. It's a totally natural feeling. Even once you start writing and you have a solid idea, a thesis, a structure, and are well into the writing, you still still struggle with doubt. We were just on a road trippers call today and one of our um, our, our writers who finished um, a novel for for youth said that she's on her fifth revision and she's like, this is this is terrible. I, I shouldn't even be writing. So I think it just is a natural 
thing that happens to all of us. You actually put a quote here uh, and you listed a quote from Ernest Hemingway. And he, he wrote, he said something to the effect, we are all apprentices in a craft where no one ever becomes a master. And I remember reading Ernest Hemingway's biography by James Mello called A Life Without Consequences. It's a big, thick biography, but it's really well-written. And you really get the sense from all of his drinking that, and all of his wives that he really was a very insecure person. And I don't think as he got older, that ever went away. And some of it is about the writing. And there's a lot of ways you're insecure. One is you're insecure. You have doubts because you've never done it before, right? That's one. And, and then when you do it once, there's a sense that you can never have a sophomore effort. You'll never have a sophomore effort. And there's that cliche that the sophomore efforts are not very good. Somebody can write a really good book and then the next one is horrible. And so I think it's part of the human condition. When you talk about it's maybe greater for first time authors in some ways, because you just don't have any track record of writing a book and you don't know what it entails and what it takes to write or complete a book. And you don't have a track record of people giving you, you feedback or responding to your writing. So you, you just start in this vacuum and you have this idea of what publishing, writing and publishing a book is about. And it may be totally different than the reality, but in your head, it seems big, it seems mysterious and you just don't know what it entails. And I think that that, that bigness confronts us and it, and it becomes almost like this bully that keeps us from, from moving forward. Many of us had second or third rate experiences writing when we were growing up. So either we had someone that ignored us or we weren't special in writing, or maybe we even had a negative experience with a high school English teacher or in college. And so that sticks with you. And so part of this doubt, I think, especially for first time writers is the fact you, you have this thought, who am I to think that I can write a book? I was not a writer, I'm not this, I'm this, I'm this. And so those doubts are very, very real. But I, I would say this, that if you're a first time author, every first time author feels this way. And, and if you don't, to me, it's almost a red flag because it's a signal that you don't understand uh, the work ahead of you. Right, and I think both you and I can identify with the sentiment of not thinking that we were writers or not really wanting to write, right? You want, your call to write came later on in life when you were in graduate school and I, had a terrible experience in high school English, my freshman English class. So I never aspired to be a writer because I had that message going in my back in my head for years and years and years, like, you're not a good writer, you're not a good writer. And even if I could write, I still had that message. And I think those things stick with us, or maybe you got bad grades in high school. And so you think if I got bad grades in high school, it's because I'm a bad writer. You know, even if it was just because you didn't apply yourself, it doesn't mean that your past is going to dictate your future. So I think you raise a valid point about us, our experiences really influencing our present thoughts about who we are and what we're capable of. Our hope is for people listening to this podcast that you push through that self-doubt and, and take the steps you need to begin to work on the book. Uh, there are a lot of people that never push, that never do that. I just want to encourage us as we continue in this episode, but also in your writing, that, that you do take some of those steps because I think the only way 
to address doubt is, is through it, right? You have to go through it. You have to continue on while you're also feeling this self-doubt. I'm not sure that it ever goes away. Yeah, yeah, I think you're right. And talking about pushing through it, that leads to our next point that to figure out if you have anything to say and if people will read it is you have to write, you have to test it out. Dave, do you wanna talk about this, this testing idea that we've been rattling around, that's been rattling around in our head based on some work we've been doing with another author? So recently, Melissa and I worked with an author who was a very prominent corporate leader in a large global brand. And his job there was to try to bring new ventures into the company and help them grow, right? And help them grow through innovation. And because of his frustration, he ended up going and getting a PhD. But one of the things that he discovered along the way is in, in big companies, they want you to have a plan that's going to work if you're going to innovate. Well, you can't give anybody a plan that's going to work. And why is that? Because it's not been done before. And there's a phrase that he got from a, from a professor at Harvard University, Clayton Christensen, who said something to the effect that the data that you need to create something hasn't been created yet. So how do you know what to do or what not to do? And, and you have to act. You have, to, you have to move, you have to create some data by actually writing. So as you think about your self-doubt, there's no way you're ever going to move past that until you actually start to write. And in the act of writing, you're starting to create writing that can have feedback and there can be movement and progress. And so as you start to write, you'll start to answer these questions that swirl in and around that doubt? Like, what would be some of those things that actually writing starts to solve? Yeah, I, I would think that that question is, do I have anything to say? As you start to write, you begin to see those things that you do have an opinion on, you do have an expertise on. And as you write, those things become clearer to you. And I also think that you begin to see these themes as you write more that connect your ideas together. So that then forms a thesis or the big idea. So, but until you start writing and some people start out writing like blog posts or journals or maybe some articles. We just talked to somebody today who says that he bases most of his books on articles that he's already written. But again, it's that way of getting something out and then you reflect on it. Maybe you share it with somebody and they say, I really like this idea. It really connected with me. And then you, you build on that and you continue to write. So the thesis will come out of that. You'll see the people that you're connecting with when you share it, like who is the ideal reader and what do they connect with emotionally? So again, you do one piece, you send it out to be reviewed or to get feedback and then maybe it's just your own personal feedback. How did you feel after you, you wrote it? What was, what meant the most to you? What came up that you'd never thought of before that was especially provocative to you? But the whole point is it's iterative. You write and you get more data or you, you find out more about who you are, what you're passionate about and how you wanna change the world with your writing. And the first draft is going to suck. Let's just put it out there right? It will be your worst fear in some ways. And, but that's writing, right? You don't write and lay down a sentence and it's perfect. You write, you rewrite, you get feedback. And, and so to push through the doubt means to start writing. And I think that's 
that's our second point here. And I, I, I think it's a really, really important point to push through, not only to understand that the, the self-doubt is common, everyone feels it, but also to say, you know, to, to actually push through that and create, you have to start writing. I would also add to that, that there are so many tools out there to help you figure out how to write a book. We have a course, we have an online community. There are other online communities and courses that you can tap into, articles. There are so many things out there on the internet, books too, that you can access. If you simply are confused or don't know where to start with writing a book, you, that, and sometimes that's what's holding people back. They don't even know what goes into a book and how you, you structure a book, et cetera, et cetera. So I would think that part of this testing phase is also just getting some education behind you so that you know a little bit more about how it works. Our next point is really important. And I think, Melissa, this was your idea, but I think it's really strong, not but, and I think it's really strong, <laughs> but to write out, your, write out your worst case scenario. What are you most afraid of? And then write out what it would feel like to never get out whatever it is inside of you. And write that out. What happens if you leave this world and you don't get out what, what you wanted to do? And I think, I think it's that big. And, and, and what the, has the worst, worst outcome? So, Melissa, as you think about when you were really insecure about your writing, what was your worst fear? That I would continue to get bad feedback. I think that was my worst fear and that it was a reflection of my identity of being a bad student back then, right? And so then that translated into later years of me just not being me good enough and feeling exposed, right? And I think that that's so much of what we're getting at today is this feeling of exposure, like I'm a sham, I'm a fraud, right? And, and that's the fear. That's, I think that that's the fear for many people what is she doing writing a book? This isn't good writing. She doesn't, she doesn't deserve to be writing this book. <laughs> yeah. So I think that that's the worst case scenario is the judgment and the, um, the identity crisis that you have when you think that people can, you know, see right through you. But if I was really passionate about something and somebody else wrote a book on that topic, I think I would be really upset if I missed my opportunity at the same time. If I felt like there was something burbling deep down inside of me, you know, in my gut and I, and I missed my opportunity, that would be even worse, I think. Because um, you know when you're called to write something, I honestly believe that. You get like this kind of this breathlessness inside or something is making your heart beat a little faster. I think you know when you're called to write something, there's, there's an anticipation and excitement. And so what would it be like to always be tapping that down? There's a young adult author, P.E. Schwab, and she said, be brave. Putting yourself and your work out there to be judged is a terrifying thing, to be sure. But this is a very hard industry, one built on critique and rejection. And in order to get through, you have to be brave. Your want of publication has to be greater than your fear of rejection. If you find yourself paralyzed by the mere notion of critique, then you do not want it badly enough. Yet, you're not ready yet, and that's okay. What I love about this quote is that you may not be ready yet. <laughs> um, yeah. 
that doesn't mean forever. You may just have to work through some internal issues like I have over the years of thinking I wasn't a great writer. Um, and maybe you just need to have some small successes along the way. Maybe you um, pitch something to like a, a local newsletter um, in a space related to your field of expertise and have a small win there to begin to get over this fear that people don't like what I'm saying or people think that I'm a fraud. I really saw such a huge improvement in your writing I don't know, eight to 10 years ago when you started to write for shelter publications and you and I've worked together, oh my gosh, 20 some years, but I never really, it's not that I never saw you as a writer, but I never saw you take an initiative in writing until you started writing for some of those other shelter publications. Right, right. That's initiative. And th that was a scary moment too, because it was outside of my work for you, which is where most of my writing has been over the over the years. And um, I got a lot of feedback, a lot of criticism. And I think that that criticism, it, it made me a better writer. So it's kind of two-edged, like you got to get over yourself <laughs> and you got to accept the feedback because knowing that it's going to make you stronger. I think a book is a little bit different than what I was doing writing for a shelter magazine because it wasn't like my idea. It was more um, telling owner, um, stories of homeowners, right? So while I felt proud of my words and the way that I structured a piece, it wasn't like a deeply personal, unique idea. So I think that books have that unique challenge is that you're kind of exposing a part of you when you write a book. That's true, but I would also say that that gave you confidence. Yes. And, and when I read that, when I read those pieces, I, I thought they were really good. And back to your point, when you were working with us in the agency side, everything gets redlined, everything gets critiqued, nothing goes out the door in a first draft. So in, the, in our environment, you have to have a thick skin because everything, and, and we just, in fact, in Road Trippers today, our, our online uh, membership course, uh, we, we critiqued a piece that I wrote and there were some really good points made by others about things I could have done to improve it. And so that's kind of the nature of, uh, of writing and, and it's really an important piece. And I, I think I, that's why I love this quote too. She said, you are not ready yet and that's okay. But at some point there'll be time to push through that doubt, to push through that fear and, and to take that first step. The next point that we want to make is that you need to have realistic expectations. I think that we all live in this kind of mystical world where a book is going to hit the New York Times bestsellers if we write a book and it's going to change the lives of many and we're going to have influence in ways that we never had influence before. And you just have to have realistic expectations of what a book is going to do for your life and also what it's gonna take to become a great writer to even get one person to read your book, right? So, and that's gonna take dedicated effort to working on your craft. You have to build time into your life to write, to think, to work through a structure, to hone your thesis. You have to um, put in the time to, to lay the groundwork. I remember in writing, in publishing Death by Suburb, I had all these overblown expectations about how many copies the book would sell. And it took a while for the book to really take off. And, and it sold a good amount of copies, but it wasn't 100,000 copies. And so I had two emotions. I had one, this deep insecurity about 
publishing the book and writing the book, and then these overblown expectations about what the book would do. So uh, I, I think the, realis the realism is really important. And one of the things that you say often is about the importance of sitting down and writing. If you can't do that, and we talked in the previous point about feedback, but if you can't figure out a way to start to write, you just simply won't be able to overcome that doubt because it's in the writing, as we've said before, not only do you create writing that can then be redlined and, and reviewed and you can improve it, but you can't overcome your doubts as well. Right. There's also this myth um, that it's going to be a quick process writing a book. And we're working with many authors right now and road trippers who have been slogging away at books now for over a year, some over two years. It's just, it's a time consuming event if you want to write a book that's gonna be read. And so we're really, really skeptical of those 30 day writing challenges where you complete a book in 30 days. I, I just don't know how you could possibly create a good book in 30 days, Dave. I can't even create like a compelling, great article in 30 days, you know, or I probably could, but it would, you know, it takes time, right? <laughs> I have to say that I mock all those and I just chalk it up to social media and the, I know what they're trying to do. They're trying to hook you, get you to go to their website, give up your email. The problem is that it, it's, what's the word? Shijun? Is that yeah. the word? It's insubstantial. Yeah. You can't write a book. You can't even learn to write in 30 days. You can't, but you can start. You can take a 30 day challenge and lay down some sentences and begin to work towards that. Maybe the 30 day challenge is to figure out what a good book thesis is. Or maybe the first 30 day challenge is just to figure out what a thesis is in the first place. Right. But working through what is the idea of my book? What am I saying about that idea? What makes this idea unique? And, and so, yeah, the 30-day challenge to write a book is, is silliness. It's pure marketing drivel, but you can make progress in 30 days for yeah. sure. Yeah, we're not saying you can't make progress. They definitely can help you make progress. I just don't think you can expect to write a good book in 30 days. So I'd be skeptical no. of that. Yeah. I also think that when you are thinking of writing a book, you have to continually ask yourself, why am I writing this book? Is it to fill some deep self-loathing, self-deprecating, self-doubt that you have? Or is it because you really want to change the world? I think if you're doing it merely to feed your ego, that's not enough. I think you have to know the why, else you will never persist in completing the book. It's just too, it's just too darn hard. It just really is. And it's just too long of a process. And there's too many forks in the road. And, and, and I... I, I was listening to somebody the other day who's a writer and he talks about X amount of days. He gets up and writes it from four to eight in the morning. So he gets up at three 30 starts writing at four and writes from four to eight. Well, that's not who I am. Right. Uh, but I did admire his discipline and I thought that guy has a why there's something that's getting him up in the morning. And, and I really admire that. So I, I do agree that you have to, because you have to go back to that why, I think, repeatedly. Was this author a professional author? Because I'm wondering if that discipline comes when your livelihood comes from writing. If you yeah, it was. It was. Yeah. That's exactly right. That's exactly I think, right. I think people who have jobs outside of writing a book and there isn't that um, need to publish a book in order to have income, 
I think it's easier to put off, you know, the discipline of writing. And we have people on our road trippers who, as you just mentioned, they've been working on books for two or three years. One of them, one of them, uh, I think she stopped working on it for an entire year because she'd gotten burned down on it, on, on writing. And then she, she picked writing back up again. And so that's really how it works. And, and you're right. If you're a professional or a leader or an entrepreneur, you have all these other things that you're doing. And, and, and so writing four hours a day isn't going to happen. But I do think it's important that it does, the why is important to keep you writing, even if it's in small chunks over a long period of time. Right, right. And that why can be different for many people. I mean, sometimes it's because you want to connect emotionally and let other people know they're not alone in this world. It might be because it will, it will help you in your business. Um, I, I think the why needs to be deeper than that elementally, but sometimes that's enough to keep you going also just knowing what is why you're doing it. All right. Our final point here, our fifth point is that doubt is a trusted road companion. So we're going back to that self-doubt and that it is completely normal and it's always going to be with you. And it's a signal that you are serious about what lies ahead. I think that people show up to our road trippers group and share the self-doubt regularly, but they keep on coming back because they are committed to writing. Um, I think if you don't care about your words, then you maybe don't care about language and you don't care about changing the world with your writing. I have another idea for a book, and I've mentioned this in our Road Trippers group. I actually had them even critique a piece, but I feel really insecure about it. And I'm wondering if I even have committed to writing it because um, I haven't made progress, the kind of progress that the thing I need to do next is to create a set of questions to conduct some interviews because I think I need to get some data points um, before I begin to even write that first chapter. I've got part of the first chapter written, but there is that noise. I have, after writing all these years, written two books and worked on probably a 500 books or different projects for clients, I still have that self-doubt. So I do think it's a trusted road companion. It's a voice that's going to stay with you. We all have to um, allow it to be that voice and allow it to be there while also digging in and doing the hard work and taking that next step. Sometimes all we know what to do is to take that next step, which is join a class go to an online conference, go to a, 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 an actual writer's conference now that the pandemic is over. Take whatever step that you know is next. Just take it. And, and that doubt will stay with you, but you have at least moved forward and made progress. Which is why we always focus on progress at the beginning. I hope that our listeners have gotten some nuggets of wisdom and are encouraged by what we've had to say today. We'd love to hear your ideas about how you're pushing through the self-doubt. So if you want to email us or pop on our Facebook page, LinkedIn page, we'd love to hear your ideas. But before we sign off, we want to share our words of the episode. We're always learning new words and trying to um, think carefully about our diction when we write. So I'm going to share my word of the week, which is Philistine, a person who doesn't think a lot and isn't interested in learning. And it occurred to me that we are creating a Philistinian culture with all this reality TV trash garbage. 
even like the Discovery Channel and the Learning Channel, which I think is so ironic, they have learning and discovery in their names, but so much of it is just trash. It's not about, <laughs> it's not really deep. It doesn't really challenge you. It's just kind of garbage in and garbage out. So I, I think I'm kind of leaning against our Philistinian culture. <laughs> and I don't want to be a Philistine though. You know, I guiltily watch Seeking Sister Wife. Um, <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Well, last night I popped in, I was, I was working out in the yard, but our 12 year old was watching Hoarders. Oh yeah, see? <laughs> That's it's like an hour and a half per episode. Yep. And, and if I were editing that thing, you could do that thing in about 20 minutes. You know that they but, used to be shorter, Dave? They used to be an hour and they would have two homeowners when they first started out. So it would actually be about 30 minutes per homeowner. But somehow they extended it to this two hour model and it just drags on and on and on. You're so right. <laughs> I wonder if they got some feedback, like they like going into the, into the deeper analysis, but it, it's just not, I mean, like last night there was this, the, the, it was so packed, this hoard, this house was so packed with stuff that you had to swim over and duck underneath the, the, uh, the, the, the arches that were in the house and under the doors, you had to, you had to, you had to swim under the clothes on top of the clothes. You were swimming on the clothes to get under the doors, the top of the door jams. It was unbelievable, but it just went on and on. And, you know, they focus on the identified patient, which is the hoarder. And then I don't know, but you talk about Philistinian that's mm -hmm. descriptive of that, of that, genre and in and our world and i think it is anti-intellectual it it, it it i don't know i love i love that word so thank you for bringing that up i i just want to share one last thing and that is i did learn something from hoarders they call that area where they have a chair with all the stuff around them but it's like they often have like a lazy boy where they have just enough space for they, their body they call that the pilot seat because it looks like a cockpit seat everything is around like there's nothing no other space around them, but they have a pilot seat so there you go i learned something from the learning channel <laughs> i have i did not i have not heard that i've not watched enough episodes i know i know That's great jaylen and i need to get together and compare notes all right dave what's your word <laughs> mine is zeitgeist mine is uh zeitgeist and that is the defining spirit or mood of a particular period of history as shown by the ideas and beliefs of the time. So you could argue that the zeitgeist of our time is, um, what would be a zeitgeist? Like there is some prediction. They think that post pandemic, we're gonna have uh, what, what they're calling the roaring twenties, what happened after the Spanish influenza but after 1918. And so they say what happens often after this is people overreact after being in a, in a period of, of being indoors and being closed down that all of a sudden there's kind of this wretched excess that happens out in the, yeah. in society. And uh, so the zeitgeist might be kind of wretched excess, kind of extreme excess. Um, so the zeitgeist yeah, so of the, six, like the zeitgeist of the 1960s, right? Free love, right? That might be. Yeah, the, that would be the zeitgeist. That's right. Or the zeitgeist of the 1980s was kind of this consumeristic um, ideology, right? So it's consume, consume, yeah. consume. That's kind of when that 
all started. So yeah, I like that zeitgeist. I always get that confused with another word. So I was glad that you you brought that up because I, I replace it with a different word and I don't use it correctly. So I love these words of the episode. I always learn so much. What I liked about Philistine is that uh, I actually knew the word. So often you, 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 <laughs> you give me these words I've never heard before and I feel really stupid. So thank you for coming up with a word that yeah. I actually know. Yeah, well, and I'll actually use the word too, I think. I think people can identify with it. All right. So before we close out this episode, Dave, I want you to tell our listeners about this quiz that we have where they can identify what they are as a writer, who they are as a writer. You want to talk a little bit about that? One of the ways to jumpstart your writing, given that we're talking about doubts, is to take a quiz and just to identify what you need next. So we've created this fun little quiz. You just jump on journey66.com and you'll see the link, navigational link up there. It says, take our quiz and it'll take you to the quiz and you can take, it takes about three minutes and you get a key, an assessment key that shows if you, if you answer these questions, this is where you're at. If you answer these questions, this is where you're at. I think it's very, very helpful. We've had quite a few people take the quiz. So jump on Journey 66 and, and take the quiz. And we look forward to uh, seeing what you score. And you get a, an email from us that follows. And we'd be glad to talk with you further about that. Yeah. Again, that's journey, S-I-X-T-Y, number six.com, just so you get there easily and quickly, yeah. not the six, six. Good. Yeah. All right. Well, I, I think that's a wrap. I am so grateful to be here. I'm Melissa Parks. And I'm Dave Getz. Now buckle up and write.